We, we sung these words, simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. Trusting as the moments fly, trusting as the days go by, trusting Him whatever befalls, trusting Jesus, that is all. And as you do trust Him, you have this sense that you're in a river. You may bump shore every now and then, but it's a glorious rest. It's like a river glorious is God's perfect peace and overall victorious in its bright increase. Perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect, yet it groweth deeper all the way. How could it be? Deeper all the way. Every joy, every trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of love. And then it's been pointed out, we may trust Him fully. All for us to do. Everything He said. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Well, I'm really glad to be back at fellowship uh, with you this morning. My words could never express to you inadequately how much this church means to me and the special friendships that I feel with so many of you. And over the years, I would call for, for urgent prayer if, uh, if ever there was that need. And especially this morning, I'm glad to be with you because uh, I'm physically exhausted I always want to prepare a message that's, because you have a wonderful expositor in your pulpit, I always want to try to bring an exposition of the Scripture. But I'll be honest with you, I had no time to prepare a message for this morning. But instead, a message prepared me all week. And what is the message? And it's exactly what we're saying here. God is faithful and He is worthy of your utter trust and of your utter praise in every single thing. I just returned Thursday night, got back to Atlanta about 12 o'clock midnight from being uh, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I went up there Saturday in an emergency trip, and Wednesday my father died. And I had the privilege of seeing the Lord God Almighty harvest 25 years of prayer. And our prayers weren't always perfect. I'll tell you, uh, we many times, we saw visible giants. We had winds of adversity that seemed to just blow the ground the mustard seed was in. But I can tell you, God is faithful. And He is able and He's worthy. And even when our faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all. And I want to share with you, I felt like the Lord told me that, uh, that I was to share with this church that means so much to me. What happened... And the, and the evolution in the, in the godly sense of how this all came to pass. Because I'll tell you, God is worthy of your trust. Trusting God is a choice. And even if you feel like you can't, He's bigger than you can't. He, he's worthy of your trust. And He wants you to. Something down deep in me changed this week. I don't know what it was, but I saw all this come together, and I don't think I'll ever be the same for as long as I live because I have a peace that's glorious like a river because of what I saw. And I'm going to share it with you, but before we do, I just want to go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to touch that part of you on the inside that may be a little tired of trusting God for something that He told you a long time ago, and you've gotten tired of, of, of holding that before the Lord. Well, He wants to encourage your heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, you're a mighty God. You're a gracious God. You're a glorious, loving, faithful God. And you're worthy of utter praise. 
And I thank you for the privilege of sharing these scripture verses this morning and the testimony of how you are the God of life and birth and death and of all. You're the Lord of all. Thank you. And may the, may the testimony of your faithfulness and your mercies that endure forever take root in our hearts today in a new way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I thought about this morning, I saw myself standing and reading these words. I didn't know the scripture verse, but I knew the text in my heart. And as it says in Jeremiah 32, uh, verse 17, it's a song, but listen to it. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth, and by thy great power and stretched out arm, there is nothing too hard for thee. And in that same chapter, 32, verse... uh, 20, the uh, verse 26, then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah saying, here's what the word of the Lord says, verse 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for me? Sometimes it's hard to believe, remember Sarah, when she heard a word from God that she was going to conceive when it was impossible, past time. She'd been waiting forever, and she was barren. And she was so full of joy with receiving that word, but she laughed within herself. And the Lord says in Genesis 18, 14, He says, Why did Sarah laugh in her heart? I am the Lord. Is there anything too hard for me? Well, sometimes it's hard to hold on to what God says, but I thought of those verses in Psalm 65, verse 2, where it says, it says, O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? See, our prayers last forever. They outlive us. If you want to find that out, read Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 8, where it says that the prayers of all saints are there, and all the prayers of the saints are there in vials, incenses that are released around the throne of God, and in gracious power, and even, even in the coming day in judgment for God's prerogative as He releases that. Well, for years I've been blessed by the story of George Mueller, who prayed every single day for uh, some of his loved ones to be saved. And he prayed, and for five of them he prayed, and he prayed for years. And one by one they all came to the Lord, except for this last one, which happened to be his brother. This is a true story. And he had prayed for about 60 years, every single day, for his brother to be saved. And someone said to George Mueller, George Mueller, do you think your brother will ever be saved? He says, "I, I admit it looks hard, but God would never have burdened me all these years to pray for my brother with such intensity and faithful uh, direction had he not the intention of saving my brother. Sixty-two years after George Mueller began to pray for his dad, his brother was saved. you know where he was standing when he was saved? George Mueller's brother was standing looking down into George Mueller's open grave watching his brother's casket go down. And old George, he wasn't limited to this earth's view of it. He had a celestial view of when his brother came to know the Lord. Well, that's a little what I feel like after 25 years. uh, I'll tell you what happened, but I'm going to start back a long time ago. I grew up in Chapel Hill, and and my dad was a a geneticist, zoologist, and uh, really in the scientific community. And sometimes when you're really smart, 
You're your own worst enemy when it comes to what you think you know. We're wise in your own conceits. And, you know, he approached life scientifically. And I remember uh, growing up, you know, I mean, uh, I could ask him a question about anything. You hate people like this in chemistry or anything. He knew the answers without looking them up. So, you know, I said, I'll never be able to, to do that. And, and so as, as I finally went off to college, I remember uh, always saying, I'll never be able to do that. Well, I got saved in 1972, April the 2nd. And my immediate burden was for my dad. I began to pray at that time for my dad. And uh, it was two years later that the Lord called me to go to Texas and out in seminary. Uh, there was another gentleman, a dear brother named Jeff Williams that I met. I've just been on the phone with him Thursday night. And Jeff and I were burdened for our dads. And so Jeff and I began to pray, even with tears and focus, praying for our dads. Our dads were both uh, kind of antagonistic toward the things of the Lord when you really got close and personal. You know, they kind of drew back. And, uh, but they were always tolerant and glad for us because it made our life, you know, better, they felt. And, and, but Jeff and I began to pray and believe God for our dads to be saved. After graduation, and, and you several years of prayer, Jeff moved back to Atlanta to pastor a church there. And I moved to Tennessee where I was in a ministry there. And we'd phone each other and we'd say, how's your dad? Still praying, brother. Still praying. We pray for each other's dads, you know. Then Jeff was called to pastor in Virginia and I was called to Atlanta. I was shocked by that. And I said, I'll pray for your dad while you're gone, Jeff. And you pray for my dad. We'd touch base. And one day Jeff called me and said, dad's got cancer. The time's getting short. I said, let's intensify, brother. And one day he called me and said, I'm coming to Atlanta. Dad's in the hospital and he's got cancer. He's dying. Can you meet me in the hospital on Sunday? I'm going to visit him. I said, I can't, Jeff. I'm leaving on Saturday night to go to a meeting. But I won't come back till Wednesday night late. But I will meet you in the, chaplain, in the chapel of Piedmont Hospital Thursday morning at about 7 a.m. So we met there at Piedmont Hospital. He said, it's a good thing you weren't here. Dad's been in a coma for a week. And they say he'll never wake up. He's lost all his weight. He looks like a skeleton with rubber stretched around it, just a shell of a man. And, and he'll probably never wake up. And we fell on our knees and we prayed because we said, Lord, this, this can't happen. All these years, you've burdened our hearts to pray for this man. And, and, and Lord, he gave us the faith in that moment. Don't pray like this unless he tells you to. But he, he led us to pray, Father, we've prayed for these men, for my dad and Jeff's dad. And in Jesus' name, we forbid his soul to leave this earth. The devil, you can't have him in Jesus' name until he has an opportunity to hear the gospel one last time and make an intelligent decision about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord gave us, gave me John chapter 14, those, those verses that, that you know that you've heard and you love so much there that say, um, it says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, here's the best part, you may be also.
with him. And he told me about the thief on the cross and, the, and the, the man who came in at the end of the day who got the same wages as the people who'd worked all day long in that parable that the Lord told about the workers in the Gospels. And so we went up there to Jeff's daddy's room, believing God as we claimed Matthew 18, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, then it shall be done for them. You can bind, you can loose in agreement like he forged in that moment. We walked up there, walked into the hospital room, and Jeff's mother had been there for a long period of time, and she was exhausted. His sister was there. They said, we're going to breakfast. You can visit your dad alone. Jeff and I walked over to this man's bed who was in a coma. Jeff just touched his daddy's bed as he walked around the corner, never touched the man. And as he touched the bed, his eyelids began to flutter, and he went... <coughs> like this. And he began to come to the surface. And he says, Dad, Dad, it's Jeff. And, and I've got Al with me. And we've come to see you. you. Do you remember Al? He says, oh. And then he says, Al's got some scriptures for you. And he said in a weak voice, no scripture. Like, just no scripture. And I said, praise God, it's the old codger in there. Not some, <laughs> not some person on drugs that say, sing us a song, anything you want. Yes, sir. And we'll agree to anything, you know, that, will, that uh, just doesn't have intelligence. Here's a man that he's come back just like we prayed. And I got down in his ear and I said, Mr. Williams, this is no time for anything but honesty. There's no time for pride. You're standing on the edge of eternity. And it's a time for utter honesty because you see, the Lord Jesus still says to you, come unto me. And I said, this, in fact, this morning, he gave me this scripture just for you. And I read him John 14, 1 to 3. And I said in his ear, as I told him about the blood of Jesus and gave him the simple gospel and said, a man can be saved from a lifetime of sin and error in a moment of simply, truly trusting Jesus. That's all. I said that to him. How we pick these songs this morning? I don't know. Yes, I do know. Because it's like a river glorious. And I said, oh, I forgot to say too that Jeff's dad, uh, Jeff had been called by two intercessors in his church. And they said, we've been praying for your dad all week. And we don't know what this means. But each of us saw this in prayer separately. As we were praying, it was like we were looking up from laying down. And we saw over us two people that were like shadows looking down at us. And behind them were just Hundreds and hundreds of angels rejoicing in what seemed to be praise. And we don't know what it means, but we felt like we should tell you. Well, as we sat down there, with, uh, as I was down equal with them like this, right in his ear, I said, Mr. Williams, I know you're too weak to pray after me and say anything out loud, but you can call upon the name of the Lord. And would you be willing to say by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I'm trusting him, I'm giving my life to him, even at this late moment, I want to trust his blood and come to the cross and receive him. Can you do it? And we waited for just a moment. And I saw his lips go up and go, mm, mm, mm. and he said, Jesus. And when he said Jesus, it was like warm presence filled the room. And we began to weep and we began to laugh and we began to sing and, and uh, all these hymns. And it was just glorious. It was, uh, it was like a warm river coming into the room. And, and uh, Jeff and I were praising God and Jeff picked up his dad's shirt and began to rub his cancer-filled body and said, oh, dad, I'm so happy. He says, did you mean that, dad? Did you mean it? He says, ah. Oh. And, and we began to just praise God and then I realized in that moment, that's what those two women had seen. They had seen from that man's perspective right beyond us and seen all those angels in glory rejoicing behind us because this was a brand plucked from the burning. And so as we were there, Jeff said, Dad, I'm so glad, and, but we're going to let you rest now. And Dad, I'll see you soon. 
And we walked away from that bed. And five minutes after we left that bed, that man went back into a coma from which he never woke up. He died the next morning about 9.15. And Jeff and I were so stunned. We were in awe that we didn't say a word to anybody. And Sunday afternoon at a family private service, Jeff, the pastor, told his family at a private ceremony about what had happened to their daddy. And his mother was so moved that she came to him and said, I want to know about this great Lord Jesus that daddy talked to before he went home. Well, needless to say, that was a major milestone in me for my own dad. That was 15 years ago that this happened. And you know, something happened in me after that. And I said, you know, it looks tough, but I believe that God is the same God that saved Jeff's dad when it was impossible. And he's going to do it for my dad. But he looks so, he looks so impossible, Lord. He's so intellectually antagonistic, but he's, he's nice. But do you get too close? And I remember over those years, you know, my children, we prayed every night. Not every night, but you know how it is when you pray for someone over a long period. Some nights you just, you forget maybe. I don't know, but the burden's there some. And the kids would say, oh, Father, just help Pop to come to know the Lord Jesus. And they'd say, when will Pop ever come? To know the Lord, it seems impossible, Daddy. He seems so hard. And I said, you wait. And I've told people this. I've told them. I, I, I said, I told them about Jeff's experience with his dad. And I said, one day, God, I, I said, it looks so impossible, but God has given me his soul. And some of you have heard me say this, I'm sure, as I've talked about my dad. God has given me his soul, and I don't believe his soul can leave this earth until I have the chance to come to his, perhaps it'll be a hospital bed, but to present the gospel to him one last time in the power of God's presence. And I believe that he'll be saved. He'll make an intelligent decision. And I said, someday I'll be somewhere on an airplane. I mean, I'll be somewhere at a meeting and, and uh, I'll get a call and I'll come home and uh, meet my dad at a hospital bed and it'll happen. But deep inside, I caught myself wondering if it really would. I didn't really have a great faith for it. I just said, this is the ways of God. And I just wonder if it could ever happen. And it seemed impossible. And so if you're having a hard time believing God in that same boat, I tell you something, this, uh, this next part ought to really encourage you. Dad turned 89 not long ago. And, you know, his, he was getting real feeble. He's forgetting everything. And he had several little minor strokes in his heart. And I knew it wouldn't be long. And Thursday, this past Thursday, a week ago from this past Thursday, he went in the hospital at University of North Carolina Hospital, one of the best hospitals in the nation. They do it right. And as he was in there, I heard he was there. They thought he had kind of a mild case of pneumonia. And he'd been to the doctor like that before. But he had a regular doctor, and his doctor said this should be normal. And, I mean, he had, my, my dad had always said, to his doctor, don't resuscitate me. It's called a uh, do not resuscitate, DNR, order, on his file, on his medical chart. And when he came into the emergency room on Thursday night, he said, if anything happens to me, don't resuscitate me. And uh, don't use any artificial ways to keep me alive because, uh, you see, he had approached life like a scientist and I guess he wanted to die like just a natural person. And I, I, had, I had told him once several years ago, we went down in the car and I pulled the car off by the end of the road where they live. And I said, Pop, I've argued with you. I've reasoned with you. I've prayed for you. I've begged you. And I just, can't you just trust Jesus? Just, I mean, what harm will it do for you to trust Jesus? And I said, I said, I can't imagine heaven without you. It won't quite mean as much to me if you're not there. 
And boy, that really got to him. He got a lump in his throat. <laughs> you know how, and he said, uh, well, son, I've been consistent a long time now, and I'm just going to be consistent right to the end. And I thought to myself, how could he ever resist that? Lord, I know you were there and just such a powerful word. And yet he says he's going to be consistent right to the end. So I was pretty, I mean, there was times I wondered, I said, have I misheard God? Is it possible that this could ever, ever happen? Well, Saturday morning, I was supposed to leave Atlanta Airport at 6.30 in the morning and fly to Cincinnati, get on a plane, then go to South Bend, then drive to a board meeting of this ministry I'm on up in Michigan. I got on the plane at 6.30, got to Cincinnati, got to South Bend, and my pager went off. And so I got on the phone and called, and they said, your dad has had a heart attack in the hospital. I didn't know how serious it was at that time. They said, it, it looks serious, and we'll keep you posted. I'll, and I call, said, I'd call back in a few hours. I told the people that met me, I may have to turn right around and leave. And so about two hours later, indeed, I did get a call saying, yes, he's very serious. Come. I went back to the airport, got on the airplane and managed to arrange a flight that left in 40 minutes. Just, I mean, it was just, it it was so ordered by the Lord. I knew, I said, is this it, Lord? Is this the one that I've always anticipated I knew would happen? Little did I know what had happened because you see that morning at 3.30, three hours or two hours before I woke up to go to the airport, Pop had been there in his hospital room reading a magazine, talking to a nurse and slumped over. His heart went into ventricular tachycardia, as they call when your heart is in a warfare and it stopped. He died. And the shift had just changed. And they did not know not to resuscitate him. And they put the electrodes on his chest and they resuscitated him. When I heard that, when I got there, that I, I got a rent car and drove to the hospital and the nurse told me that they had actually resuscitated him. I was afraid to go in his room at first because I was outside his room and I said, God is in there. I know he's in there. The glory of God. And it, it, it was like I had such a, come quickly, Lazarus is dying with this deep sense of, God is in control. This is, this is, I'm way ahead of you, Al. You rest in me. And this woman told me he had died. And I said, Lord, how could it ever be so parallel to Jeff, but yet so different? And we bound his soul to earth and he, he can't even die even though he said he wanted to. (laughs) Until you've given me the privilege of going in there. And so when I walked in that room and it was kind of that hospital glow with one of those light, light, you know, little mild lights up on the ceiling, I felt like I was on holy ground. And from 10 o'clock until 2 o'clock, I got my Bible and I read him scripture and I took him through the simple gospel. I took him through the blood of Jesus and the throne of God and coming through all these things. And I mean, I mean, he was a captive audience (laughs) because you see, I mean, he was basically what looked like unconscious. But you see, I could see by his eyeballs moving beneath his kind of closed eyelids that he was hearing me. And he would occasionally he'd put his arms up like this and you could see he was in pain. He had some stroke response. His face was slightly sagged. He was a terrible sight. But after all that, I got right down and I said, it worked once before. I'm going to do it again, Lord. And I read to him, John 14, I told him about the thief on the cross and I told him about the blood. And I said, Dad, you can turn to the same words. You can turn to Jesus in a moment of trust. You can turn from pride and, and all the things that have hindered you. It looks a little different now, doesn't it? 
when you're sitting on the edge of eternity. It won't be long till you stand before God and I'm, I'm imploring you, can you trust the Lord Jesus? And I slipped my hand into his. It's it kind of loose like that. And I said, I got to know. I got, you need to respond. Can you let me know? Can you squeeze my hand? Let me know if you're trusting Jesus. He's your only hope. And there was about a delay of some time because I think things were not working well in terms of his nervous system. But then I felt this long, deep, hard squeeze on my hand, even so that I saw his tendons on his wrist. And I thought to myself, could it be that it's just a grip reflex? You know, it was too good to be true to me. And so I waited a little bit and then I asked him again, the same thing happened. But I went out to the desk after praising God and went out and I said, is there somewhere in the hospital I can stay? And they sent me down to one of those gross hospital mattresses that has a rubber sheet on it. And so didn't let me sleep for about two hours. And I went back upstairs and had some more prayer. Finally, I went to get mom. And it looked like uh, that Sunday morning it was. It looked like that when you walked in the room, the, the pop wasn't hearing a thing. And we didn't know if he was conscious or not. I said, was it real last night? Was it real? And his mouth was so dry because he was into what they call Stokes breath- chain Stokes breathing. If you know, it's when a person's ready to die, they kind of quit breathing. And then they go, <sighs> gasping for their last breaths like that. He was at that point. And he was doing that. So his mouth was so dry. His tongue was swollen and cracked. And, and it's kind of open like this. And he, he was, it must have been a terribly uncomfortable physical thing. So I got a straw, stuck it in water, and put my finger on it. And let just about a half an inch of water loose on his lips. And, and he went like he liked that, that, that water. And then I said, Mom, did you see that? He knows what's going on. And then I said, Pop, you want some more water? And his eyes were kind of slit. And as I walked over toward him, he opened his mouth and put his tongue out. And I said, that's it. He knows. And then so I got down beside him and I said, Pop. Uh, and I told Mom right there what had happened the night before. And I said, this is what happened. And Mom says, she took his hand and said, we need to know. And my mom is not what you call an evangelist. And she's not even necessarily strong all the time in the Lord. But she began to say, ooh, and, and, and asked the, ask the Father to make it real to him. And I mean, that we would have some confirmation. And it looked like Pop was squeezing her hand. And I got down and I said, Pop... Mom wants to know, and I want to know. I need a confirmation. Have you trusted Jesus? And it was just, his eyes opened, and he put his hand out toward me like this. And I grabbed his hand and pulled it to my chest. I mean, he pulled my hand to his chest. I'm sorry. I want, he, he pulled my hand to his chest, and I sat there in awe. It was my left hand. And then he got his right hand, his, his, his left hand. Forgive my left and right. So I don't, I'm so excited I can't even tell left from right. That's biblical. I don't know your left hand from your right. But, but he raised his arm up like this and pointed up with one finger with his eyes up and looked up toward the ceiling. And I felt like falling to my knees right there and just praising God. I said, Lord, in, in one deft moment, in one marvelous stroke, you've showed me 23 years of prayer being answered. And so he began to become more lucid as the day went on that Sunday in his inner man, though his outer man was perishing, his inner man seemed to come back all day Sunday so that when a friend came in, he could kind of get this kind of paralyzed smile, even though his tongue was, you could see that in his eyes. I've never seen his eyes like that. They were kind of a deep sea blue. I mean, they they were clear and and, and it was beautiful. And And so I Sunday night I called uh, my wife and said, you've got to get up here. Bring the kids and everybody, Monday break, be up here. Some, it'd take them six hours. They left early Monday morning. Um, Sunday, my sister Diana 
and my mom were there by the bedside. And uh, mom was standing there, and she was, and she was down saying, goodbye, darling, goodbye. And, and he, he, she started to turn, and he kind of grabbed her wrist and pulled, and she came down, and he kissed her on the lips. He put his, like he was taking the water I gave, and it, it, it broke her heart. It just blessed her so much. And my, and my sister, whom, whom he's never kissed on the lips in her entire life, uh, he actually pulled her down and kissed her on the lips. And I asked her, I said, what was that kiss worth to you? What was that kiss worth to mom? And what's this day been worth when, when the doctors make a mistake and bring a man back from certain death and, and he comes back and I told her about him pointing up and she said that was glorious. Then we passed the night and Monday came and, uh, and their pastor came and the doctor that's been his doctor for eight years. Uh, some of these details may not mean as much to you as to me, but I'm, I'm having a good time here. He... he uh, He's been his doctor for eight years. He knows his medical progress. And he, he, he said to the nurse, I was there with Dr. Fisher. He said, I cannot understand this. Saturday, this man was, was basically comatose, it looked like. And now today, he's back. We're going to have to do something to feed him or something. And, uh, and I said, doctor, what you don't understand is there are about 400 or 500 people praying for this man, that he'll be lucid, that he'll be able to make intelligent decisions. And this is a spiritual matter. You're a man that's an expert in the body, but this is different ground than what you know. And doctor, you need to know the spirit. And he says, I know you're right. And we were in there and this, this old liberal preacher that was in that town, but he, he said, why don't we have a prayer together? And we all stood around that bed and I said, glory to God, here's my chance to pray. And the doctor was there holding hands and we were all holding hands and this preacher prayed. He prayed in Jesus' name. I said, well, praise the Lord. And then I prayed and then my mom prayed. And, and then after we were through, this doctor that was sitting there, he was, he was, this doctor was holding hands. And after we get through, he just goes, and he looks down, he shakes his head. He says, I just can't understand this. I said, of course you can't, doc. You need to know the spirit. And as the night went on, finally, Monday, Monday came and the day went through. My family showed up about something about five o'clock. I got them. We went in. I told him that he wouldn't be a pretty sight. He was breathing pretty heavily now. And he had a lot of stuff that was keeping him from breathing. As they came in one by one, he recognized them. And when the girls walked up to him, he went, uh, uh, and he kind of went like this. And my son, Ben, the 13 year old said, he's always like the girls more than the boys. And, uh, and, and it was really neat. I walked over to him with my wife and he put his hand out right here on my chest. And he kind of went like this on me, like, this. And I thought he liked my shirt, but I, I think he was pointing to my heart now that I think about it. I don't know. My wife says, that's pushing it, honey. But, but I don't know. I, I honestly believe by the light in his eyes, something was really going on. And, I, and each one said something to him. We prayed. And then he began to, when, when, uh, when the people that were non-Christians would leave the room, we were in there and all of us were praying and reading scripture and singing. And my girls stood around the bed and they sang that lilting tune, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forever, now and forever. And the, the room was just so full. My wife and I were in total awe. It was like we were being swept along by a river of God. I didn't have any sorrow in my heart. How could you ever be sorry upon a rock that somebody shipwrecks on Jesus? How could you ever be sorry? And as we sat there that night, uh, uh, Tuesday came and he was still, still holding on, but now he was really having a hard time breathing and, and the rattle was in his throat. And so the hospital said, we, we can't leave him in the bed here. We have to take him somewhere else because he has expressed no invasive measures and we can't prolong his life. He's expressed that. That's his will. 
See, they made a mistake and brought him back, but now they were honoring that. And I knew he was just a matter of time to pass into the Lord. Had such a peace. So we call the, uh, the nursing home or the uh, assisted living where my folks had just moved in January. And they sent out an ambulance and we took Pop back there to where it's a wonderful facility. But he basically, they wheeled him in on the stretcher. And by the time he got there, his lungs were filling up and he was becoming less conscious of his surroundings. And all he could focus on was just right who was beside him. So I felt really good about taking him there. And as, as he was there that uh, Tuesday night, his, his breathing became very labored. And, and I think he became less and less conscious that particular time of he was in real pain, it was obvious. And they began to give him stuff for pain. But that night we prayed and sang some more and we all went back to our beds, never expecting to ever have any more time with him. Wednesday morning we came in, I, I, I called and they said, Mr. Whittinghill's still here. And so my wife said, I just wish he would go on. He, he needs to go because he's in such pain. And we all went over to see him one last time. And as we sat there in that room, each one of my children went to Pop. And they told him they loved him. And it, it must have meant something really to him because the nurses said, he can hear. He can hear. You don't. The hearing's the last thing to go. That's the case. I'm in trouble because now my hearing's going. But... <laughs> But they said, he can hear you, so, so you be really careful what you say around him. And they went, and they, we sang, we, we loved him. And my daughter Elizabeth, and during a time we were praying, she stood up and she quoted and read from the scriptures. She didn't know. John 14, 1 to 3. And I just was blown away. And so at the, Mary Madeline came over, and she got down in Pop's ear. And there's a strange likeness to what uh, happened to me 15 years before with Jeff's dad. And she said, Pop, we just want you to go now and be with Jesus. It's okay to let go. It's okay to go now. You can go. And we knew there's nothing else that we could say. So we turned around and looked back, left him in the room there. I walked my mom and the kids out down to the other building where mom's little place is. She's staying. And I said, Mom, sit here and wait for a moment. She sat with a little bunch of people that were listening to this classical music. I walked the family up the hill to the van, put them in the van, kissed them goodbye. I was going to stay for two more days. This is on Wednesday morning, uh, about 11.15 or 11.25. I put them in the van. They drove off the property. I walked back down the hill into the lobby and said, Mom, I'll be there in just a moment. I want to make a phone call for you. And uh, uh, I went and sat down, and the woman that is in charge of the center came in and says, Mr. Whittinghill, they just called me from the, from the health center. Maurice has just passed. That's my pop. He, he, he just passed. And I said, how long ago was it? I was in awe. Oh, five or six or seven minutes ago, apparently. And I thought back, and it must have been when the wheels of my family's van had left the grounds. And I just was in awe. I just sat there and I said, Lord, how could it be so parallel? How, how could it be so glorious? It was just amazing. And the next two days, God's river flowed over my mom. And, and, and she, she couldn't even be sorry in a, in a fullest sense because she was so glad that Pop had come. And it was just like, as I got on the plane to come home Thursday, I, in the airport, in the, in the lounge there, I called Jeff on the phone. And I told Jeff about it. And we laughed and we cried and we praised God and how God, you see, to us, 15 years is a long time. To him, it's nothing. To you, 20 years of prayer may be like a long time. To him, it's nothing because he knew it all along. I was dumb enough to say what he wanted me to say. I'll be at his bedside and didn't really believe it down that God said that's what's going to happen because I am the God of all flesh. 
And is there anything too hard for me? Someone said the other night, after they found out Pop had gone, they said, Al just lost his dad. And I said, no, I almost lost him. But I didn't lose him. God's faithfulness snatched the brand from the burning. And there he's back. And I thought of those scriptures in Psalm 27, verse 13, that says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, it's not I had fainted unless I had seen what God did. It's I had fainted unless I had believed God in order to see. We've got to believe God. We've got to trust the Lord. And when the Lord laid this on my heart, I said, Lord, I don't have a message for Dalton. He says, oh, yes, you do. You have a message for Dalton, and you didn't prepare this message. This message prepared you. And I want you to go back, and I want you to stand up and read that scripture. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And I want you to remind them that once I give a word, it's more sure than the sun coming up tomorrow. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word endures forever. And if God has told you or burdened you for something that's his will, don't back up from it. Press in and focus in. When the Lord lays this on my heart to share with you, he wanted me to say, trusting Jesus is a choice. We sang about it all morning. I was blown away when you picked the music and you sang that. I mean, who could ever have done that? Trusting God is a choice. And he wants you to trust him. He wants you to trust him. He wants to encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you have a Spencer or you have a someone else that you're believing God for. And it's gotten hard to believe because of visible giants or the mustard seed of faith of God's promise that he gave you that you fed on one year in the past. It's become buried by the dirt of this world or visible giants or winds of adversity or storms of time. And you feel as a famine for the word of God, but God says it still abides and it still lives and you need to trust God and believe him and repent of unbelief. Repent of unbelief and trust that he is worthy and able, you see. You've prayed and you've prayed maybe a long time and you feel like you're about to faint. Well, you would faint unless you believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's time to trust the Lord who, who gives this word in Romans 4. It says in 4.17, he says, I am God who quickens the dead, and I call those things which be not as though they were. And against hope, believe in hope. You see, you're hoping for something. Hope is always future, but you believe in hope, and you believe it today to happen, and God, don't, God doesn't want you to let go of it. He wants you to trust him. So believe him. How wondrous are his ways as he carries them out. We've been swept along by a river. If thou canst believe, all things are possible. When you stand praying, believe you have received them and you shall receive them. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound, shall have been bound in heaven. And that great text in Habakkuk that means so much to me, 2-4, when it says 2-3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Trust him. Believe him. Something's changed in me. I don't know what it is exactly, and it doesn't even matter. I don't have to figure it out. But I know this. 
I feel like I can believe God again for things I never could believe Him for because I've seen that it doesn't depend upon how great my faith is. It depends on how great He is. And just a little mustard seed kept in the presence of God. Never let go of what God has said to you. Don't forget in the dark of this world what God has promised to you in the light of His Word. Don't forget it. And hold on to it and trust Him. And God will surprise you and bless your heart and break you with His goodness afresh. Well, that's all I'm going to share with you. But I want you to trust God. I want you to trust God. I said, Lord, how, how blessed of you. Thank you so much for letting the first time I get in the pulpit again after all this be with the people I love like Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you so much. And I pray that you'll use what you've done in my heart this week. What looked like the end was really the beginning. And all the accomplishments of all his professorhoods and the book he wrote and the different universities and the chairs he had and the places he taught, all of those are just fade into obscurity in the light of four hours. Those last four hours when he gave his heart to Jesus. So redeem the time, dear one, and trust God. And don't ever back up from what God has said because it is more certain than anything else. Well, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of uttering these words before these who you love and you've taught me to love and I love easily with my heart. Thank you for your faithfulness. We have not seen anything. We remember that man who you paid just as much for working only one hour as all those others who'd worked the whole day in the field. And the one at the, at the beginning questioned, and you said, cannot I do with what is mine as I wish? And Lord, thank you that the thief on the cross is just as saved as, as I am. And anyone in this room, a saved man is saved by grace. So may we dare to trust you and, and be bold about your character and trusting you and walk forward in faith, nothing doubting. I thank you for the privilege of these times today that we live in, rich days of harvest, and make us yours in deed and truth. Bless that one whose heart is aching here this morning and give them a renewed vision for the vision you've given to them. And may they repent of unbelief and may they dare to say, Lord, I'm going to lay it at your feet and trust you to bring to pass the good word that you've promised to me and focus in again on what you've promised. I just feel like the Lord would have us act on this word in our seat Perhaps you just want to right where you are say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Forgive me of my unbelief and give to me that sense of your will and bind me to the precious promises of God that I may dare to trust you and call the things that look like they're not what God says they are so that they may become who they're meant to be. Oh God, give us this, this today. And this is what you want for this dear group of people. May we leave here with our hearts full of the simply trusting that is all. We worship and praise you in Jesus' name.